one, uh, as we were singing there, talked about a weary world. Um, and uh, we're waiting. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that the people of Israel were waiting and that the prophets had prophesied that the coming Messiah would come. And, and we celebrate that every Christmas with the Advent, don't we? That's why we do the readings week after week. And we remember, um, and we only have to wait a month uh, to get to Christmas, but, uh, but they waited quite a bit longer. And we celebrate that with the Advent candles. And the children have been very patient. They've waited, and it's finally December 24th. It is Christmas Eve day. And uh, during this time of year, it's quite common for the elders to pick a special Advent series that we preach through. So we, we put on hold some of the other things that we were preaching. And, and for the entire month of December, we introduced you to this book. And hopefully this doesn't look strange to you. There's been dozens, if not hundreds, of these sitting on the back foyer table. And I encourage you to pick one up and read it. It's, it's by a, a person called Rico Tice. It's called A Very Different Christmas. And that's been our theme this, uh, this uh, Advent season. The, we've been preaching through this book. And it's an interesting little book. It's a bit of fiction. Uh, and uh, the, the, the authors who wrote it invite us into something they call a little weird. In fact, they actually say it's weird, but it's also beautiful. And it's meant to um, help us make sense of the, the tension, the panic, um, the fun, the joy and uh, sometimes sadness at this time of year. But what this book introduces you to, and definitely pick one up on your way out, um, in chapter one, you're invited into a very different kind of living room. That's why it's called a very different kind of Christmas. You're invited into a very different kind of living room or rec room on Christmas morning. And I don't know where you open your presents on Christmas morning, hopefully not in your bedroom, Hopefully you come out into a living room or to a rec room and you open your presents together. And maybe you're the type of family where you rip it all open and it's all done in about five or ten minutes. Or maybe you're like the Winger household where we go around the room slowly, one person after another. It's very painful. <laughs> it drives the kids crazy. But Jennifer and I love it and we go around the room. And that's, that's what you're invited to in this book. You're invited into being part of a gift exchange that goes around the room. And it's fiction, but I, I th it has some very solid biblical truths in it that we'll talk about. Um, but you're invited into a living room, and you have to imagine you're invited into a living room on Christmas morning, and there's three others already in the room, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you enter into the room. And you're not there to shoot the breeze. You're not there to have a whole list of questions that you always wanted to ask Jesus. You're there to actually for the gift exchange that's about to take place. And they're going to go around the room, chapter 2, chapter 3, 4, and 5, in this little booklet. And there's some gift exchanges that are going to take place. Um, in chapter 2, which Pastor Steve preached on, on the first Advent Sunday, uh, was the first gift exchange. So we're in a room and the first gift exchange takes place between the Father and us. Um, so the Father goes first. He gives us a gift. We, it's beautiful. We open it up. And I'm not sure. Does anybody remember what was in the first gift? A baby. 
that's kind of weird. I don't think you've ever opened a present and found a baby <laughs> inside before. <laughs> but that's exactly what God did. He gave us um, himself in the form of a baby, didn't he? On the first Christmas, he came to mankind. He came to humanity in the form of a baby. That's why Joseph and Mary were asked to give him, told to give him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Pastor Steve preached that in, in God doing that, he gave us clarity, eternity, dignity, and love. That was chapter two. Chapter three was the second gift exchange, and I'm giving you a little review before I get to the final gift exchange. In chapter three, Steve Daw preached on the second Advent Sunday. We heard about Jesus giving the Father a gift. So this is not our turn. We're just sitting here watching the gift exchange. Sometimes you got to do that on Christmas morning. You got to watch someone else give someone else a gift. So the second gift exchange, Jesus gives the Father a gift, and it's beautifully wrapped, and he un opens it up, and inside the box is a perfect life. That's what Jesus gave the Father, sinless, flawlessly obedient himself, the perfect life here on earth. That's what the Bible calls righteous, and it pleased the Father. And then in chapter 4 of this little book, it's our turn to give a gift to the Father. And we're going to kind of do what Jesus did. Uh, Jesus gave the Father his life in a box, and it's our turn to do that too. And so we have a beautifully wrapped box that's nice on the outside, and we're about to give it to the Father. And we would have talked about this last week had it not been for the snowstorm. But, um, well, you know in the inside of the box isn't that great, is it? So Jesus actually stops us and says, I can help you with that. And he gives us his righteousness. And then our gift to the Father is now pleasing to the Father. So now we get to chapter 5. And I promise uh, this is the final gift exchange in this little book. And I won't take too long because I know we have a baby dedication we still need to do. So chapter 5, that's what I'm going to preach on this morning in this little book. Please pick one up when you leave. This is... The final gift exchange on Christmas morning. We're in the living room with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's one gift under the tree that's left. And it's always that nice feeling when you find out it's for you. And so there's one gift left under the Christmas tree, and it's the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give us a gift. And so he does. He goes and digs it out from underneath the tree, and he brings it to us, and he gives it to us. And it's beautifully wrapped, and we open it up, and we look inside. And before I tell you what's inside, let me take a side tangent, and it'll circle back, I promise. Let me tell you about a movie that came out in 1999. It was uh, spring of 1999. It was a science fiction movie. Keanu Reeves was the uh, main actor. Not sure if any of you know what the movie was. The Matrix, the Matrix right? <laughs> okay, some of you have seen the movie. It was a blockbuster. It got four Academy Awards, and if you haven't seen the movie, you're... Well, based on the sermon illustration, you're probably going to want to watch it now over the Christmas holidays. It was called The Matrix. And in the movie, the main character, his name is Neo. And it turns out he's living his entire life in a fake reality. He thinks he's free, but he's actually a slave. And he's been duped by a complex computer program called The Matrix. He thinks he's free, but he's actually a slave. And then he meets a man named Morpheus, who offers him two pills. He offers him a blue pill. He offers him a red pill. The blue pill, um, if he takes the blue pill and swallows the blue pill, he'll work up, w wake up tomorrow morning forgetting everything, continue living in a fake reality, and forget everything. If he takes the red pill, 
Morpheus offers him only the truth. And if he had taken the blue pill, the movie would have been over fairly quickly, but he doesn't. He takes the red pill. Now, The Matrix is only a movie, but what was unique about this particular movie is that it got the audience thinking. And here's the question. It made us ask the question, is what I think reality is what reality actually is? And let me say that again. Is what I think reality is what reality actually is? Let's go back to Christmas morning. We open up the present that the Holy Spirit has given us, and we look inside, and it's exactly that. It's reality. That's what the Holy Spirit offers us. He offers us reality. He offers us a view of the world as it actually is. He offers us a view of ourselves as we actually are. And he offers us a view of God as he actually is. Where does this teaching come from? Open your Bibles. John chapter 16. Turn with me there if you have your Bibles. I don't have the text on the screen, so you're, you're going to need to find a Bible near you. John chapter 16. We're approaching the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus is teaching his disciples. John chapter 16. Look for a section called the work of the Holy Spirit. It starts around verse 4. This is John's record of Jesus' words to the disciples. It's probably in red text. And Jesus says, starting partway through verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. <coughs> For if I do not go away, the helper, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's a promise. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Semicolon, now he breaks each of them down. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what does verses 8 to 11 teach us about the Holy Spirit? It teaches us that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. And for all you Star Wars fans, he is not some divine power that we plug into. No, he is a divine person. He is part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead. And for believers, the Holy Spirit is the person that works within us, even to the point of indwelling us and interceding for us. But let's be clear, the Holy Spirit is not our spirit, and the Holy Spirit's voice is not our voice. He is the divine person within us, not a divine part of us. And while there are many attributes, aspects, characteristics, ministries, activities of the Holy Spirit, what does this passage teach us? This passage teaches us three troubling and yet liberating truths. He offers us reality. That's what's inside the box. As an allegory in the movie The Matrix, the Holy Spirit is the red pill. I'm not sure if you're the kind of person that when you listen to U2 lyrics, you get deep spiritual meaning. I know people who do, by the way. Or if you watch movies like The Matrix, you see double meaning in everything. I don't, and I didn't. And <laughs> but <laughs> um, 
talk to Tim Churchill if you ever want to hear get double meaning in every U2 lyric. <laughs> but uh, in this particular movie, there is an allegory. There is a double meaning. The Holy Spirit is meant to be the red pill, or the red pill symbolizes the Holy Spirit. By taking the pill, Neo got a, a reality check. And in our lives as believers, that's what the Holy Spirit offers us, a view of the world as we actually, or a view of ourselves as we actually are, a view of the world as it actually is, and a view of the Father as he actually is. Perhaps I can make this a little more concrete. Let's think of it like a job description. After all, it's called the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look a little closer at verse 8, and we'll break it down into tasks. Think of it like a job description. So verse 8 says, He will convict the world concerning sin. What does this mean? It means apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, believers, or sorry, people will never see themselves as sinners. Let me say that again. Apart from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, people will never see themselves as sinners. In order for Christ's blood to take, away sinner, to take away sin, sinners must repent and believe. And how does that happen? God acts and the Holy Spirit convicts. Perhaps you're sitting here today saying, Paul, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And then I ask the question, where did you get that special insight? You didn't come up with that yourself. It was the free gift of God, the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts. And let's not confuse Holy Spirit conviction with self-conviction. Oh, there's another kind of conviction called self-conviction. That's the kind of conviction that we do to ourselves. It's wide-ranging, it's condemning, it's defeatist, and it always circles back to self. We tend to say things like, I'll just try harder, I'll make more lists, I'll make more sticky notes but it always comes back to where you started, a wash in guilt and condemnation. By comparison, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is specific. He'll use specific sin to convict you, or sorry, specific text in your Bible to convict you about specific sin. His goal is to sanctify us. Did you ever wonder that the name of this part of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit? Is it no surprise that part of his job description is to convict us of our sin and to turn us and to increase us in the pursuit of holiness? Here's an encouraging reminder. When you're sharing the gospel, it can be challenging, especially when you get to that part about trying to um, help somebody understand that they're a sinner and that their sin separates them from God. But here's the encouraging part. It's not our job to convict people of their sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's part of his job description. So task number two, if we think of this as a job description, task number two, he shows us that righteousness matters and that we don't have it. Verse eight, if we continue reading, says he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Quite simply, no one but the Holy Spirit can reveal to a person that their righteous standing before God does not depend on their good works only on the Christ's death on the cross. How does he do that? He illumines, he opens blinded eyes, he restores spiritual vision. He helps believers view themselves as they actually are, totally depraved by their nature. He offers us reality. 
But more than just giving us a proper view of ourselves, the Holy Spirit also shows us what a perfect life of righteousness actually looks like. He points us to Jesus. That's one of his primary ministry, the ministries. The Holy Spirit is always, always pointing us back to Jesus. J.I. Packer had a really good analogy. He said, think of the Holy Spirit as a spotlight that illumines a cathedral at night. Do we look at the light? No, we look at what the light illumines. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He illumines Jesus Christ. He illumines and he shows us the righteous life of Jesus. More than that, he shows us that we can have that righteousness and that we can partake of it. Okay, final job description, task number three. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Based on this text, he shows us that judgment is real and that it's close. Let's keep reading, uh, reading more of verse eight. It says, he will convict the world concerning sin. We talked about that. He will, cons- he will convict the world of righteousness. We talked about that. And he will convict the world um, with judgment, about judgment. Uh, it says here, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Three things. And yes, the Bible has many texts about the end times, impending judgment of humanity. He, uh, and we will all stand before Jesus at the end of time. And at some point in everyone's walk, we need to wrestle with the biblical truth of judgment. Jesus promised this teaching function to the Holy Spirit, especially to his disciples when he said that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He has a teaching function. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. That's how they wrote it all down. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, John 14, 26, and said he will guide you into all truth, John 16, 13. The message here is that the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is to help us understand. So let's not dishonor the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we fall into a trap of saying, well, he's the guy who, he looks after gifts and fruit, right? Fruit of the Spirit. But so much more than that, his role is to help illumine the Word of God. As you read your Bible, he helps you understand. And that's all biblical truth, all biblical teaching, including judgment. And that's what John is saying here in John 16. So some concluding remarks. All that the Spirit offers is truth, or as this little book indicates on Christmas morning, all that the Holy Spirit is offering you in his gift is reality. He offers you a proper view of the world, a proper view of yourself, and a proper view of the Father. That's what John 16 actually teaches. Why is this important on Christmas Eve? Isn't Jesus the reason for the season? Why are we talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, it's important to talk about the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have the very first Christmas. He inspired the prophets that foretold about the coming Messiah. And Mary got pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there wouldn't have been a first Christmas. Here's my final concluding application Do you constantly wonder as a believer if God is working in your life? And if you are, I say, don't be so foolish. Verse 8 offers a simple litmus test. Three things, three job descriptions of the Holy Spirit. So you can turn them into personal questions. Do I feel convicted of my sin? Do I know that I lack righteousness and I am able to behold the righteousness of Jesus and I want that? And 
am I convicted about the judgment? If you answered yes to those, you didn't come up with those insights on your own. That was the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, free gift of God through Jesus Christ. If you answered, oh, and, and sealed for all eternity and you're a child of God, amen. If you answered no to any of those questions, then don't despair. There are people here this morning that would love to tell you about the life-transforming power of the gospel, the life-changing news, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do remember the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the reason for the season. And this whole season points to Jesus. This whole season reflects the gospel and points to the power and the life-changing power of the gospel. But let us not, as believers, dishonor and, and forget about the handiwork of the Holy Spirit. The fact that as indwelt children of God, he works in the life of the believer. And he does so many things for us. And just three things that we saw today in this passage, three liberating truths, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.